Great. Well, I'd love you, if you've got a Bible, to turn to Daniel chapter 2. And in fact, if you haven't got a Bible, but you have got a phone, I'd love you to get it on your phone. It's a long chapter, and we're going to walk our way right the way through this chapter. Um, Just read a bit, talk about it, read a bit more, and work our way through like that. So Daniel chapter 2. But just before we read anything, let me just say, I am aware that there are There are times when it is hard to work out um, what to say and what to think. And with all that's going on in the news at the moment, particularly around the Russian invasion of Ukraine, it's something that we are constantly hearing about. And therefore, I think it's something that it's right for us to address. But let me say this, and I, and I, because I, I, I want to be honest with you. I do recognize there's a hypocrisy in that. I do recognize that there are some issues we care more about than others because they feel more immediate or they feel closer or our media is particularly pushing them. And so in addressing this issue, I want to say and acknowledge that I think we miss a lot of issues that also would be worthy of a sermon. So please don't hear me saying this, this is the most important thing, but I think it is a very important thing. And I think some of the principles that we're going to learn as we look at Daniel chapter 2 will help us not just to process what we're hearing in the news at the moment, but will help us to process many different things that we're facing and and we hear about in our world. So let me just say that. I I just want to acknowledge that we don't get this right all the time. Um, But I want us to try today to have a look at Daniel chapter 2. And the reason I've gone to Daniel chapter 2 is it's a chapter... Um, that I often come back to when I need an anchor. When I need something, some fixed points in a world that seems volatile and fragile. When the order of things, or the way that we thought we knew the world worked, seems to be being eroded and undermined. See, I think it feels like things are really changing in our world, right? in a way that probably none of us have ever experienced before. I've never had to consider, I wonder what the upper age limit for conscription into the army might be. Where would they set that? Those are the sorts of questions that perhaps some of you are beginning to think as well. Perhaps some of you, like me, have found yourself constantly going back to news outlets and checking what the latest updates are. So what do we do with that? Well, we're going to work our way through Daniel chapter 2, and I hope that we'll get some stuff which is useful and helpful. We can't say everything. But let me start with Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, just, to, just to put you in the picture, we're going to read about a king called Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the leader of Babylon. He was the king of Babylon, which was the superpower of the day. And Babylon had swept through hundreds of nations and hoovered them up into its empire. So in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. 
When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, well, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. And the king answered, I'm certain that you're trying to gain time because you realized that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, there's no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods and they do not live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. Okay, let's stop there for a second. Here's the first thing I want us to see. The strange insecurity of being a superpower. I think we're going to see three very strange things this afternoon. This is the first one. The strange insecurity of being a superpower. So like I said, Babylon is the superpower of the day, and Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. And there are always moments in human history when individuals rise up who become a concentration of power. One of the words, the images that the Bible uses for this is a horn. So in several different places, you get descriptions of a horn will rise up. Why call it a horn? Well, think about a horn. Let's think of a rhino. Okay, you know how rhinos work. They're big and heavy. Some would say fat. And then they've got a horn. Now, when they charge, what do they do? If they're angry with you and charge at you, what do they do? They lower their heads, they point the horn straight at you and go for you. Why? Because all of the power of the rhino becomes concentrated into that one point, the horn. They don't turn around and reverse at you, right? That's weird. Because a horn is... is, A concentration of power. Now what the Bible says is that there are people, there are rulers, there are kings who rise up, who become like a horn. Through various political situations, through personalities, through opportunities, certain people rise to positions where they become phenomenally powerful. A horn. And the concentration of a whole empire becomes focused in one individual. 
That's Nebuchadnezzar. And what you have to understand is that this is what has always happened through human history. Individuals have risen up. Individuals with great power. You see, sometimes it can feel, can't it, like we're living in days that are strange and we look around and we say, oh man, this is scary, it's scary, and this is happening, and this thing is happening, and here comes someone who seems to have great power. What you have to understand is that that's always been the way that human history has worked. And in fact, God is very clear. He says that will continue to be the way that human history works. People will rise up who will take a stand against God and they will become super powerful and they will do great harm. And yet what we see in Daniel chapter 2 is that to hold that position, to have that power, comes at a great price. Daniel chapter 2 is going to show us it comes with great insecurity and irrationality. So look, 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 get into this story, right? Nebuchadnezzar is the most powerful man on earth. To be honest, he is more powerful than Vladimir Putin is today. Much more powerful in terms of his control and his opportunity. He's not really threatened or opposed. There's no one else in Babylon. There's no NATO in the days of Babylon kind of saying, oh, should we give air cover or not? There's no one else. It's just Babylon. He knows that he has the most powerful army. He has the strongest military and he has the safest throne. He's got nothing to worry about. He is so powerful. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. He's the most powerful man in the world, but he can't sleep, and he has a dream that troubles him. You see, there's an inner conflict. There is an emotional turmoil. He is troubled. You see, in the way that God has made humanity, he has set something in every human heart. He set eternity. He set a piece of himself in every human heart. That no matter how powerful you become, you cannot ignore. So let me assure you of this. Every king who has ever risen to power, every ruler who has ever stepped onto a throne, has been troubled. Vladimir Putin is troubled by God. He knows there is a God. God has set something in his heart. Because to be a ruler is to be troubled. And so he has this dream which unsettles him. And so what does he do? He calls in all his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, astrologers, all of his advisors. He gathers them all together in a great big circle to have a consultation and to find out from them what this dream means. But now look, you see, this king, this all-powerful king who has become troubled now becomes deeply suspicious. Suspicious of the people who he should most trust. So he says to them, 
I need to know what this dream means, but I don't trust you. So first, you're going to have to tell me what the dream was, because then I'll know that you're speaking by some supernatural power, and then I'll trust your response. This is a completely unreasonable request, isn't it? It's completely unreasonable. And you can imagine the advisors sitting around, looking at each other, going, our Nebuchadnezzar has lost his mind. This is impossible. We're in big trouble. Because this concentration of power leads to humanity becoming very suspicious of others around you. Leads to you becoming suspicious that someone else might be about to steal your throne. Someone else might be about to rob you. Someone else might be about to lie to you. Someone else might be able, about to take you down. And this suspicion then flips over into absolute irrational behavior. Because when the wise people of his kingdom say, there's no one who can do what you're asking. We don't know what you dreamed. We weren't there. We cannot tell you what you dreamed. You tell us the dream, and then we'll interpret it. And they no. No, no, no. Because you might lie to me. You could just make up anything, right? He's not stupid, and he's probably right. Once they tell him the dream, they go, ah, yes, well, we can tell you what that means. But Nebuchadnezzar says, I, I'm not trusting you. And so look at his response when they say, we can't know anything. We, we can't know. Verse 12, this made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the executions of all the wise men of Babylon. Now, I am no strategist in leading a nation. But I'm assuming that if your strategy is, let's kill all the wise people, that's not rational. That is not a way to make a good advance on your kingdom. And yet Nebuchadnezzar, this king who has become so powerful, is acting completely irrationally. I don't think we should be surprised what we're seeing in our news. It's happened before over and over and over again. So there's the strange insecurity of being a superpower. Perhaps it will help us just to recognize that this is some of the dynamic that's at work. But I want to move on. I want to read the next bit. So let's pick up from verse 14. Now, one of the nations, by the way, that um, Babylon has swept through is the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah. And they've defeated them, and they've robbed their temple, and they've taken everything off back to Babylon. And one of the guys that they captured was a guy called Daniel, hence the name of the book. Let's read what he happens next. Verse 14, when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went in to the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. 
During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You've made known to me what was asked of you. You've made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I found a man among the exiles. By the way, I love the way Arioch tries to take credit. I found a man. <laughs> it's me. Look how clever I am. Anyway, I found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Your dreams and the visions that were passed through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. Right, we'll stop there for a second. So the first thing we saw was the strange insecurity of being a superpower. Here is the second thing, the strange confidence of seeing the greater power. The strange confidence of seeing the great power. You see, if Nebuchadnezzar's behavior is strange, so is Daniel's. You see, Daniel is part of the wise men club. Daniel is part of this crew. So he hears that his execution is imminent. Now, in order for us to picture this, and I, I have bought a little visual aid. Okay. I, just for today, I want you to imagine that this is Nebuchadnezzar. He's scary and mean and, uh, and terrifying. And I want you to imagine that this this is a Lego minifigure. It's very small, sorry. This is Daniel, right? Compared to Nebuchadnezzar, there really is no contest. We're going to call Nebuchadnezzar Big Bear because he is big and he's scary and he's powerful and Daniel is very small. So how can it possibly be that Daniel has the confidence and the courage to say, let me go and see the king. And Daniel walks into the presence of Big Bear. And he says to the king, give me some time and I'll do what you've asked. Look, I know we're using a cute little panda, but Nebuchadnezzar is terrifying. He's unhinged. He's crazy. He's volatile. He's suspicious. He doesn't trust anyone. How is it that Daniel could possibly look at Big Bear? Okay, here's the key thing. If this is the only thing you remember, this is it, right? This is what I want you to know. 
it's because Daniel isn't looking at Big Bear. Daniel's looking somewhere else. Just one second. Right, look. Daniel is looking at Great Bear. And Great, look, this is how it works. You've got to, you've got to visualize this, right? It works like this. This is great. This is God. And this is Nebuchadnezzar. And so as Daniel walks into the presence of Nebuchadnezzar, he sees God. He sees God who is the great bear, the great king, the great powerful one. And the confidence that Daniel has, I'll set that up back here so you can all see it. There it is. Perfect. Feel free to come and take pictures later. I know it's a stupid illustration, but let me tell you, this is our problem. We go through our lives and all we can see is Big Bear. We go through our lives and we feel intimidated and we feel small and we feel terrified because all we can see is Big Bear. And whether that's on an international stage or whether that's in your workplace or whether that's in your life, whether it's a situation that seems too overwhelmingly big for you or it's a person who seems overwhelmingly scary or it's an international situation that feels out of your control, whatever it is, our eyes are fixed on Big Bear and we feel small and we feel scared. And the reason we feel scared is because we know that we can't defeat Big Bear. But Daniel, Daniel understands that there is a greater bear. There is a greater power. There is one who stands beyond And so as he looks at Nebuchadnezzar, he sees the great king behind him. Can I say to you, that is the only way to find courage in this world. That is the only way to find hope. It's the only way to find joy. And that's why Daniel doesn't panic. Compared to Nebuchadnezzar, did you notice how utterly rational Daniel sounds? Nebuchadnezzar has done this kind of, whoa, just kill them all. And then we're told, Daniel speaks with wisdom and tact. What an interesting little detail. But Daniel is able to speak in a way which is careful and wise. He's able to speak in a way which is controlled, as opposed to the uncontrolled rantings of Big Bear. And he goes into the presence of the king to ask him. He doesn't panic, but I also want you to see that Daniel's view of Big Bear doesn't lead him to make presumptions either. He doesn't presume. You see, you might be listening to this thinking, oh, in that case, we're just supposed to go, oh, it doesn't matter, God's in control. And sometimes you hear Christians say that, don't you? And you say, um, you know, something's really badly going wrong, and you say, but it's okay because God's in control. Well, yes, sort of. Except, do you know what Daniel did? He prayed. And he called on his friends and he says, guys, you've got to pray. It's not that Daniel was like, it's all going to be fine because God's in control. I know big, great bear, it's all all right. He calls his friends and he says, guys, you're going to have to pray because I've just told the king that I'm going to tell him his dream. 
I've just told the king that he shouldn't kill all the wise men of Babylon. We're really going to have to pray about this now. Can you imagine what that prayer meeting must have been like? He urged them to plead for mercy. They're pleading with God. They're on their knees. They're crying out to him. Oh God, great God, great king, please, we need you. We are so small. We are in big trouble and we are going to die. We need you and we need you now. And as they pray, God acts. You see, people who see great bear are not people who go through life going, God's in control. They're people who pray. And they're people who call others around them to pray. And they're people who say, we've got to plead with God. We've got to pray. And that's what Daniel does. And God reveals the dream. And it's interesting, isn't it? When God reveals the dream to Daniel, he doesn't immediately go, oh, cheers. And off he goes to the king. He takes time to praise God. Praise be, I love this song that Daniel prays. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. That's what you need. In a king, you need wisdom and power. If you've got one but the other, you're a useless king. If you're wise and weak, you're no use to anyone. If you're powerful and foolish, you are super dangerous. But if you're wise and powerful, then you are good. And, God's, and Daniel lifts his eyes to the great king, and he says, I see you, God. I see you. I see your wisdom and your power. I see you. And he is crystal clear. It's God who changes times and seasons. It's God who deposes kings and raises up others. It's God who put Nebuchadnezzar in his place, and it's God who can bring Nebuchadnezzar down. We may struggle to understand this, but you need to know that it is God who raises up rulers and brings them down. Vladimir Putin is only in the position that he is in because God has raised him up to that position. We may have huge questions about that and we may not understand. And it doesn't mean, therefore, that Vladimir Putin is innocent. It doesn't mean anything like that. It just means that he's in God's hands. And although Vladimir Putin may be out to do evil, God will work what is good. These are huge questions and huge issues. But this is what happens when we begin to say, I want to see great bear. I want to see the great God. And so now with this prayer having been answered, Daniel goes with courage into the presence of the king and says, I'll interpret the dream. But even the way he interprets the dream, Nebuchadnezzar says, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Do you know what I think I'd have said? Yes. Yes, I am. I am king. I'm better than all of your wives. All of the wise men in chances they couldn't do it, but I can. This is a moment for Daniel to stake his claim on the most powerful position in all of Babylon. <laughs> so Nebuchadnezzar says, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel's answer, no. No wise man can do that. No one can do that. But there is a God in heaven. Look at it, it's all there. There's a God in heaven. He stands behind you, bigger than you, above you, beyond you. 
there's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He's shown them. You see it? Just imagine what a difference our lives, imagine how different our lives would look if we could see the greatness of God right now. If we could see those things that terrify us in the hands of God. There's one final thing I, I want us to see because we probably get to, to get to the dream and that is the strange reality that we need to see. We've seen the strange insecurity of being a superpower, the strange confidence of seeing a greater power and then the strange what did I actually say in the end? Well, can you put the third one up? The strange perspective of seeing the everlasting kingdom. That's exactly right. It doesn't even fit. It doesn't fit the slow. It doesn't fit the pattern. It's very disappointing. Let's read the, let's read the dream. Verse 20. I'm sorry, no, verse 29. As your majesty was... So now Daniel's explaining the dream. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what's going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out but not by human hands. It struck the statue on the feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. And now we will interpret it to you, the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands, he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky. Wherever they live, he's made you ruler over them. You are that head of gold. After you, another kingdom will arise inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there'll be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom, yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than the iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Now, we haven't got time to do all the details of this, but the Here's the vision, right? The, the vision is the statue. The dream is the statue. Head of gold, silver, bronze, iron, and clay. And we can imagine Nebuchadnezzar being told, you are the head of gold. 
how at that point do you think Nebuchadnezzar's feeling? Here's little Daniel, right, talking to him. And, oh, no, sorry. You can't, you can't fall over. Oh. Here's Daniel saying to Nebuchadnezzar, you saw this statue. You are the head of gold. And Nebuchadnezzar's going, yeah, quite right. That sounds just like me, a head of gold. But then come the most terrifying two words that Nebuchadnezzar has ever heard in his life. Look at verse 39. The first two words of verse 39. They're terrifying words for Nebuchadnezzar. After you, another kingdom will come. After you. Do you not see that for Nebuchadnezzar, that is a terrifying idea. After me. Bear in mind that all the way through the book of Daniel, Daniel, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's servants keep saying, oh king, live forever, oh king, live forever, oh king, live forever. Daniel comes and says, yeah, but after you, there'll be another one. (laughs) And after that, there'll be another one. And another one. And here is this vision which humbles Nebuchadnezzar and says, you think you're all that. You think that your kingdom will last forever, but it won't. It will be gone. In fact, it will be swept away by the wind. And another king will come along. This is, the, this is very, this always, this bit always reminds me of a game I used to play at a party when I was a kid. I used to hate this game. It really is the cruelest game, I think, in the world. Um, where you put a piece of chocolate in the middle of a circle. Um, and you put a knife and a fork and a hat and scarf and gloves. Has anyone else played this game? This is a horror. Why do we do this? Then you have kids sat around the outside and they roll a six. If you roll a six, you run up and you put on the hat, hat and scarf, scarf and gloves. And you pick up the knife and fork and you begin to try and eat. And you just, just about get a piece of chocolate. It's like the worst way to eat chocolate. And then someone else in the circle rolls a six. and They go six and they come running up and they rip off the, the scarf. And you, the hat and you've got to... You go and sit back down again. Your turn's over. Can I say, that is what our world is like. Kings come, right? They roll a six. They get their little moment where they try and build their empire. Quick, 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 build their kingdom. But while they're building their kingdom, they're full of insecurity and irrationality because they can't really cope with the power because they were never designed to have that sort of power. But they're building, they're building and building. And then suddenly someone goes, six, my turn. Move out the way. And that king is moved off the throne. You see, where's the kingdom of Babylon today? Where is it? Where is this great superpower? You can go and see the hanging gardens of Babylon if you want, as some interesting architecture, archaeological feature. But it's gone. Because it was replaced by the kingdom of the Medes and Persians. Where's the kingdom of the Medes and Persians? It's gone. Because it was replaced by the Greeks. The great Greek empire. So full of wisdom and power and and culture. Where's the great Greek empire today? It's gone. Because it was replaced by the Romans. So strong military power. I think that's probably the kingdom that is the clay and iron. Brittle, divided. So strong but divided. Where's the Roman Empire today? Gone. 
You see the point, right? They just go. They come and they go. And they come and they go. And that's what Daniel can see. So Daniel looks Nebuchadnezzar in the face and he says, your kingdom will be gone soon. And yet in that moment, it feels like it's going to last forever. And the perspective that we have to cling on to, what God reveals through this vision is that no human kingdom lasts. Within 20 years, Vladimir Putin will be dead. He will be dead. He'll be gone. Every human leader and rebel dies or is defeated. But there is one little rock cut out of a mountain that hits the statue, that destroys all the other kingdoms. All the other kingdoms shift off the stage and this little rock begins to grow and grow and grow. And God sets up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. You know what that kingdom is, right? That's the kingdom of Jesus. That's the kingdom Jesus came to bring. That's the kingdom Jesus established. Jesus arrived and said, the time has come. The kingdom of God has arrived. You see, those kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall and move off the stage. But Jesus comes and establishes a whole new kingdom because Jesus is different to any other king who ever came. Do you think Jesus was ever insecure? Do you think Jesus was ever like, oh man, someone's going to take my throne. Someone's going to take my throne. No, Jesus knew his throne was his forever. Do you think Jesus acted irrationally and lashed out in order to protect himself? Just kill them all. No, instead Jesus put himself forward and said, no, kill me. Kill me to establish this kingdom. Because this is a kingdom that is not established through violence and bloodshed. It's a kingdom that's established through love and sacrifice. You've got to see that. That's what makes this kingdom so special. And even when they tried to kill this king, he rose again. That means he's alive forever. That means this kingdom will never end. Now, none of what I've said today makes the suffering easier. But all of what I've said today helps us understand and to get a right perspective on what is happening. This is what we desperately need to see. This is what our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan and in Ukraine and in Russia need to know. This is the kingdom that lasts. And can I say, even if a king arises, a ruler arises, who becomes a supreme concentration of power, who does untold evil and brings the whole world into another war, and who brings the whole world into a place of violence and destruction, they still won't be able to stop the kingdom of Jesus. So let's take courage. Some of us feel really afraid, don't we? Some of us feel really unsettled. Some of us feel like 
perhaps even we don't know how to cope with what's happening. I think Daniel shows us what to do. He says, look big bear in the eye and say, you're not big enough for great bear. (laughs) And I hope this week, as you go into this week and as you face all sorts of things that feel too big for you and feel too strong for you, that you will be able to know that there is someone who is stronger who is for you and with you and will strengthen you. And this is not just how Daniel's lived. This is how countless thousands of Christians have lived through the years. This is how people have had the courage to give their lives in all sorts of situations because they know that no matter how big Big Bear feels, just not big enough. There's a greater one. Guys, why don't we pray? Father, we plead with you this afternoon as the great God, the almighty, powerful God, wisdom and power are yours. We plead with you this afternoon that we know that you are stronger and greater and wiser and will live forever and that we place all our confidence in you this afternoon that we bring our fears to you. That we wouldn't become callous and just sort of say, oh, God's in control, but that we'd plead with you and we'd run to you and we'd need you and we'd see our need of you. Yeah, we pray, Father, please help us. In Jesus' name, amen.